I'm Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear It podcast. Today we're going to give you some things great jazz musicians don't want you to know. So we're talking insider secrets here. A little bit of, a little bit of behind the scenes info. All right, well, we might run into some trouble from the jazz police, but I'm down. All right, let's, let's jump right in before they get here. All right. <laughs> Number one, it's not actually that hard, said the great jazz musician. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, this is something that I think that, that we, we want everyone to think it's really hard because we think we're going to get paid more, we're going to get more respect, we're going to get more ladies interested in us, you know. But the, look, the reality is, uh, well, yeah, once you're good, it's not that hard. You know, right. so it, it's hard to get to that point of being good, but that's more of a continuum of, of working, working. But a lot of the really good jazz players have been doing this since they were young, at least playing their instrument. And by the time they're, you know, teenagers, often they can play pretty good. So, I mean, it's a little bit like, uh, and I'm not comparing myself, I'm comparing like um, Christian McBride. Oh, let's hear it, let's hear it. No, no, no. To like, I mean, like LeBron James. I mean, it's not that hard for him for to play that good. <laughs> for me to play like him, it would be impossible. Right. But I mean, I mean, the whole thing is like, he's not, yes, he's putting a lot of effort, but that's easy for him because he's good. Because he's right, you know? right. So it actually isn't that hard. Yeah, I always talk about, when people talk about, oh, this is hard, I always say it's not hard, it's just unfamiliar. You know, that's the term that I was taught. It's like, if you familiarize yourself with anything, yes. it becomes easy. That's the whole, that's why you practice, right? So right. you don't have to think so much. I mean, before, you know, when you started playing your instrument, just making a note was hard. And now it's not. So. Right, right. And we're talking about some things great jazz musicians don't want you to know. Mm. So, I mean, I think that's fair. And I think in terms of familiarity uh, also leads to a certain comfort level. So there's like, it feels comfortable, it feels familiar, and it's just not that hard. All right, so number two is that all of the answers you're looking for are in the great recordings. Now, what do we mean by this exactly? Well, I, I think what it is is that there's no secret scrolls anywhere. Actually, the secret scrolls are the recordings, <laughs> are the recordings. that are not yeah. only readily oh, available. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, they're like freely available now. You know, you go to YouTube, you can basically learn everything that you need to know. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't think about going to Berkeley College of Music or Indiana or Michigan State or all these great jazz programs and give them some of your hard-earned parents' money to learn? Of course you should. I mean, you can have a great conservatory experience, but... Everything that you need to know to play is actually in these recordings. Yeah, I mean, literally everything that if you want something, you can go get them. And like you said, now you can get it pretty much for free. Yeah. You know what I mean? To go grab information that, that you love. It's, it's not that hard. This is a good thing. Uh, it comes back to our usual first point, which is to listen. Right. If oh, did we can... skip that today? <laughs> no, we did. Well, let's go back in time. Listen. Uh, number one, listen. <laughs> no, but this is, you know, if you're a good listener, if you develop your ears, then, you know, there's no secrets. They're all there. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's like religions. You know, every religion has its Bible. And I would say, if you look at jazz as a religion, the recordings in some way are the sort of reference materials like a Bible. So you, yes, if you go to church, you can learn a lot of things, but the church shouldn't really be teaching you anything else that's in that Bible for that particular church. Or we maybe shouldn't be straying to the religious <laughs> things, but that's okay. You know, okay. It's just, just okay. a reference. I'm not endorsing or promoting them or anything, you know. Okay, next we've got... Uh, the fact that you can be from anywhere in the world, you can be any gender, you can be any color, you can be any ethnicity, you can be any um, religion, for yeah, instance, yeah, yeah. and play this music with great success and with great verb and with great fire. Um, so, and I would just say that, you know, most jazz musicians are really welcoming and opening with this, but there has been a little bit of a history of non um, 
in inclusion yeah. um, that I think is totally wrong and unhealthy. Luckily, there's been a lot of self-examination in the jazz world, but there has been some, like, a little bit of promoting of this notion of you have to be uh, a poor black blues musician to play this music. And I don't think that even the musicians have ever promoted this. Maybe it's been more the media yeah. or journalists, maybe a little bit associated, but it's definitely not true. Well, you know, there's no doubt that the jazz stems from, I mean, it is black American music. It stems yeah. from that culture. But how generous has that culture, the jazz culture, been in it, throughout its history of allowing, like you said, anybody, if you can play, you're there. You know, I don't think you could say that about... For years, you couldn't say that about like classical music right. or any other kind of music. I right. mean, but jazz has always been a diverse place. I mean, yes. it's a black American music that has benefited from the contributions of people from everywhere that right. look like anyone. Right, right. And I think a lot of, and I mean, I guess we, we kind of screwed this one up a little because we're talking about great, great jazz musicians. I've never seen them be um, exclusionary or putting forth that thing that I can think of. Um, so this is more mediocre jazz musicians don't want you to know this because like, they want to protect their thing and make it like, well, you're a female, so you can only be a singer or all this kind of nonsense and garbage. You know? yeah. but, we, but it's important just to put it out there. That, that, and I mean, we've, you know, part of the fun thing for me in terms of traveling, and, and, and you've done this as well, but gotten a chance to go around the world and meet great young players and, and older players from places where they don't even speak English, and, mm-hmm. but they speak jazz. Yeah. And that really proves that, that the connection, and even going back to our point of that you can get everything from the recordings, um, you know, and now they've been some of the folks that have built up the scenes in these different countries, and now they've got their own jazz, thriving jazz scene, and they're making recordings that we're checking out. Yeah, you know, I'm just realizing this list might actually be more like uh, things that get misunderstood in jazz <laughs> yeah. than, than right, things right. great jazz. Or we could you know. just sort of spin it off to another episode. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so number four is use the blue scale liberally. <laughs> this is Peter's <laughs> yeah, thing so, that he doesn't want you to know. Yeah, yeah. but, but look, look, look how liberal I'm being with giving this out to the world. This now. is secret <laughs> sauce, though. This is the secret it's sauce. It's a secret sauce. And I think, you know, again, like maybe we don't want people to know because we don't want to seem like it's just a gimmick, you know. Mm. Um, but... I mean, I, I think the better you are and the more confident you are as a player, the more you're willing to use something that's potentially kind of a gimmick, which is what the blues scale is. And it's funny because I guess we don't want people to know it either because it's a lot of a lot of folks, it's the first scale that you learn in kind of stage band middle school or something for right. improvising. Oh, it's a blues. Well, let's learn the blues scale because it's unique, somewhat unique to jazz as, as opposed to like a dominant scale yeah. or mixolydia or whatever used in different kinds of music. Can't you just hear it on like a terrible... You know, middle school tenor saxophone <laughs> tone being used incorrectly. Yeah, no. Earlier this morning, court. I heard it at, <laughs> when I was actually. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I mean, we. So we're, uh, maybe there's a little shame involved with some of this. You know, so like part of we don't want you to know that we're still using the same crappy scale that uh, we learned when we were in seventh grade. But I mean, you know, look, it goes back to number one: listen and and how it sounds and everything. And um, so it's I don't know. Maybe it's sort of like a, a great brain surgeon. That it, you know, it's so it's 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 so mystified in terms of what they're able to do. Yeah. But if you were to actually go in there, and they're like, "No, I'm just using this little pair of pliers." I mean, I sanitize it first. Same old tool you, tool you use around your house, and I just do brain surgery with it. Yeah, I think what's this is what's so great about the blue scale is that it is one of the first things that people learn, and it seems uh, easy, but it's mystifying how masters have used it. Think about how how the, the difference between Louis Armstrong used that scale and John Coltrane and mm. how they use that scale and how different it is and how we use it, how you use it, you know, is different from them. 
Um, and it, oh, but thanks. It, I like how you put Louis Armstrong, John Coltrane, Peter Martin. That's Thank right. you. That's, right. and, uh, <laughs> that's called a big leap. <laughs> and uh, no, but it's it's very malleable scale. It's get used. It can be used in very different ways. But it always has that it, that feeling. Like it's used to get that same feeling every time by you know those great artists and you. <laughs> I mean, you you're but, one of them. <laughs> very malleable. You said malleable. Malleable. I love that. It's like it's from the it's it's the origins are marvelous, malleable. I, don't, what <laughs> yeah, that I got an eighth grade education. I don't know if you know <laughs> what does that, that mean? Malleable. It means it's it's it can you can turn it into anything. It's right. it's it can it's like a piece of clay. I mean, the middle school tenor player who doesn't know how to use it can use it. Or Louis Armstrong can use it, and it sounds unbelievable. So Louis Armstrong's malleable. The middle school tenor player, not <laughs> the, so much. The scale is malleable. <laughs> the scale, got it, yeah. got it, got it. No, but it, but it, it, these are. This is going to be another list. Words great jazz musicians don't want you to understand. <laughs> malleable. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Um, okay, so the last one we have here for some great, no, some things great jazz musicians don't want you to know, is that you can fluctuate tempo. Uh-oh. What? Ooh, I didn't know that. Jazz police, they're, they're, they're coming in for us. Let's get this done quickly here. I've they're... been a great jazz musician this whole time. <laughs> um, look, we preach practice with the metronome, play with great players. I think we did a whole episode about like how to not screw up the time, right? Yeah, with, but we with... actually talked about this in the Oh, we episode. did. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, don't want to contradict myself seven times in one episode, <laughs> only six. Um, but look, th- this is the reality. When you're good, you can break the rules, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, J.S. Bach understood the rules of harmonic movement and counterpoint and all this stuff. And then he wrote a bunch of brilliant music where he often broke those rules. Uh, William Shakespeare was apparently a pretty good writer or whoever was the actual writer behind his, his works and broke a lot of grammar rules, but somehow they worked. Um, so that's the thing with the tempo. Um, you, you know, a, well, an example I always think about is, is that, um, what's the live Miles two bass hit? Yep. Or my, is that on Milestones? Or something with, with Philly Joe Jones, the famous. There's a little bit of tempo fluctuation on that recording. If you were to anal- analyze it, they're or, leaning or, forward a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a little bit of rushing going on. But you know what? Philly Joe Jones and Paul Chambers can do that because they are great and they make it work. And so, in terms of if you were to say you're not a great player if the tempo changes, it's just not true. There's too many. True. There's too many fluctuations among great players. Now, does that mean you should say, okay, I want to be a great player i want to be like philly joe jones so every time i play two bass hit i'm going to rush like him no you're not going to like focus in on that just like you know um an amazing amazing three-point shooter somebody you know steph curry whatever has incredible form but there's some little things in his form that actually you're not supposed to do so you shouldn't imitate he can do it because he makes it work for his form yeah i'll never forget i was seeing um nicholas payton here at jazz the bistro uh this was like years ago before they remodeled and I was standing next to the principal cellist of the St. Louis Symphony, and he doesn't know a lot about jazz. And Nicholas Payton was like really purposely flexing the time in a way that only he can really do I mean, yeah. in his way of doing it. And I just remember the cellist like turning to me and saying, can he do that? <laughs> like, is that even legal? How is he doing that? Right, right. Why is he doing that? And I'm like, well, the why is easy because it feels friggin' amazing when, right. he, when he does it. But yes, he can do anything he wants. He's Nicholas Payton. Like he's he, he's in complete control of that situation. Well, it's ironic coming from a cellist of the St. Louis Symphony, 
where which you know the, it Powell Hall there that that's just like a bastion of of, of fluctuations of tempo as far as yeah, I can no, tell. So he should have known. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, got a little dark there. No, this is coming for yeah from someone who's like a half second behind a baton. Beat. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I mean, it's the same thing with you know with great symphonies and great conductors. They can do those fluctu- fluctuations of tempos because they have such a deep understanding of the music. Totally. And so stylistically, it's different in jazz when we talk about. You know, tempo fluctuations, and generally there's less than there is in like certainly like Romantic period mm-hmm. classical music, um, but it's still there and it still works. So I hope you guys had a little bit of fun with our um, secret things that great jazz musicians don't want you to know. Now you know them, but keep it a little close to the vast because you'll hear it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the You'll Hear It podcast. You can go to you'llhearit.com to get more information, submit a question, or just say hello. Wait, you can do that? Absolutely. All right, and if you like what you heard, please leave a review and a rating below. Thanks. Thanks.